0: What is this? What's going on here? What are you people doing here? What is this? Are you trying to trick me? You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. This is a different episode of Storytime today. Essentially, it's a rerun, but it's not really a rerun. It's a highlight episode. When I was growing up, Johnny Carson hosted The Tonight Show, and when he was away on vacation or when something else was going on and he couldn't do the show, he would often have a guest host. But sometimes he would put on an episode called The Best of Carson, which was essentially a rerun. I'm not going to rerun shows for you, but what I've done is I've gone back and I've taken excerpts from various episodes, either my favorite episodes or episodes that you guys have said you really enjoyed, and I've taken some of the stories out of those episodes and compiled them in this, okay, rerun episode. If you haven't heard the stories before, I hope you enjoy them. If you have heard them before, I hope you enjoy them again. But here you go. This is the best of story time. Because of my dad. My dad did not like seasoning. My dad was, uh, you know, a, a typical old school guy. Give me my meat and potatoes, some salt. That's it. That was my dad. You couldn't season things. We didn't. I didn't even know pepper was a thing until I got into high school. Because we didn't have it in the house except to occasionally season a soup or a stew. And maybe at that point you could wave the pepper can over the stew, that's about as close as you could come to seasoning. When I got old enough, I learned to make chili on my own. I'll get to that at another point. But my dad would never eat the chili because, you know, chili has seasoning. <laughs> you know, things like chili powder and garlic, <laughs> all the good stuff. No, that was, that was not something that I grew up on. I grew up on meat, potatoes, butter, salt. Those are the seasonings and the condiments, really. Ketchup, always good. Mustard, okay, if you're having hot dogs. Nothing more than that. And God forbid you should bring spicy mustard into the house. Gouldens was a foreign word in our house. It was French's or nothing. There is no brown mustard. What is this brown stuff? That's not mustard. Mustard is yellow. Okay, Dad. The stuff I learned when I got out of that house. Oh, my goodness. The joy of discovering mayonnaise. We grew up on Miracle Whip. Why did we grow up on Miracle Whip? Because Miracle Whip has virtually no seasoning in it. Mayonnaise has things like, you know, herbs and spices in them. And that was something my dad did not want to have a part of. Miracle Whip. That's it. When I discovered how good mayonnaise was, oh my goodness. It was like a whole new world was open to me. (laughs) When I went away to college, um, one of the things that I went to school for was journalism. And part of the journalism class was writing news stories, both for newspapers. Yes, there were still newspapers back then. And uh, for radio broadcast. And it's a different kind of writing if you're writing for somebody who's reading it, as opposed to somebody who's listening to it be read to them on the air. It's a different style of writing. It's a different technique that's used. And I had to learn both of those as part of the journalism classes that I was taking. As an aside, I didn't graduate with a journalism major, but that's a story for another podcast. For purposes of this podcast, I was really into the journalistic writing, so I learned how to write both uh, copy for the air and copy for newspapers. One of the things that I discovered was I really wanted to try getting on the air, so I volunteered at the college radio station. And um, one of the things that I volunteered for was a news shift, so what you would have to do with a news shift is you would have to get in, in the morning and the shift started at 6 a.m. So I would have to read the 6 a.m. news, which meant, of course, that I had to be there at the station long before 6 a.m. So I could pull the Newswire copy off of the teletype. And if these are phrases that you don't know, you can Google them. But we used to have a teletype machine in the studio and you would pull the news stories off of it. And then you'd have to summarize it into a way that was readable. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the term rip and read, but some radio stations would have newscasters who did nothing more than rip and read, meaning they would rip the paper off the teletype machine, go sit down in the microphone and read it just as it was written. There's a danger to that. There's several dangers to that. Number one, it's lazy. So you never know how to read a news story, analyze it and get the salient points out of it and summarize it for people who may not just want to hear what the wire service had to say. The second danger is if there's misprints or mistakes or anything wrong in the copy that comes off of the teletype and you're just sitting down at a microphone to read it, you're going to be reading those mistakes live on the air. And there's nothing more embarrassing than reading something or saying something that's simply incorrect or trying to decipher something that's misspelled because you've been too lazy to read the copy ahead of time and write down your story. So those are the things that I was learning, and we were never ripping readers at the radio station that I worked at. So I I still to this day remember my first radio shift. I had to get to the radio station at 6 a.m., well, for the 6 a.m. shift, before 6 a.m., and I met the disc jockeys, and they showed me where the teletype was, and then I put to use my three-week-old journalistic skills of how to write a news story based on what's on the teletype. Now, I had to do that with the knowledge that whatever I was writing, I was going to be reading, so I wanted to make sure it was right. So I carefully looked over the teletype stories. I had a five-minute newscast to fill, so I had to come up with five minutes of stories, which is approximately 10 stories, because you're going to do about 30 seconds per story. You know, if you have a really good one, you might go a minute on it, but you're really just reading the headlines for those five minutes and a little in-depth analysis of it. So I remember sitting down and typing my stuff out, and uh, you have special kind of paper so you'd know how long each story was. It had marks on the paper where it showed the 30-second mark and the 60-second mark on the sheet of paper. And so if you typed down to the 30-second mark as you were typing, you'd know you've, you knew you'd have 30 seconds of, of airtime as long as you were reading at a reasonable pace, Now, when you're a nervous young college student, you're probably going to read a little quicker than you might otherwise read. So you have to account for that and put in a couple of extra lines to make sure that you're filling the 30 seconds for each story because you don't want to come up 30 seconds short on your five minute newscast. Otherwise, you have to figure something out to do for those 30 seconds. So I wrote up my stories and I got ready to go out uh, on the air. Well, go out on the air, go on the air. I had to go into a little news booth, and it's, as you've seen on some TV shows, it was exactly that. It's a little tiny room with glass all around you, a big microphone in front of you, and a red light just above your panel, which is similar to one above the disc jockey's panel, and the disc jockey would be ready to cue you when it was 6 o'clock, You'd be watching the clock go, because as soon as that second hand hit the top, the radio station call signals would be sent out, WCCR, and then you'd go. And I remember that. To this day, I remember those final seconds before the countdown, because I was fresh out of high school, and I was still the nervous kid from high school. I was still the shy, introverted kid. I had moved to Ohio to go to school, and I had gone away to a place nobody knew me, so I was trying to reinvent myself. As I've talked about before, this was the new me. I was going to start with a clean slate. So nobody knew that I was the shy, introverted kid, but I did. So I'm sitting behind a microphone, ready to go live for maybe 10 people. But in my mind, there was millions of people out there. But, you know, at a college radio station, how many people are up at six o'clock in the morning? Really? I mean, not many. But in my mind... The world was listening to me. And all of a sudden, the butterflies started going in my stomach. And I started finding myself really nervous. And my palms were sweaty. And all of a sudden, it felt really hot in that room. I wasn't sick. But I i was not far. <laughs> I was not far from from getting ready to run out of that booth. But I knew that I couldn't. Because I was the guy for the next five minutes. So I remember watching that second secondhand and it seemed to slow down as it was getting closer to 12 like like the time was never going to come and it was like tick 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 so slow and i was saying oh it's go- uh, it's coming it's coming and it was It was as if everything was moving in slow motion and the butterflies were churning and my hands were getting sweatier and I could feel the perspiration popping out on my brow. And it was was just a moment of sheer panic before that second hand hit the 12. And then the second hand passed to the 12. The DJ hit the calls. WCCR. And I was on. And I didn't screw it up. I, to this day, do not remember what the newscast was about. I don't remember a single story on it. I don't remember a single word that I said. But I do remember getting through it. And I do remember getting a thumbs up from the DJ. And I do remember getting through the next two newscasts because I had to do 6 a.m., 7 a.m., and 8 a.m. And it was such a good feeling. It was like, ooh, wow, I was on the air. And in my mind, millions of people are listening to me. It was probably 10 people who were getting up early to study and maybe a custodian over at the Arts and Sciences Building. But in my mind, I had just had my moment. And it was glorious. Oh, chocolate chip cookie dough. My downfall as a kid. Nowadays you can go to the store and you can go buy a tube of chocolate chip cookie dough or you can go buy the tub of chocolate chip cookie dough. It's not the same. It's so not the same. There is nothing like your own homemade chocolate chip cookie dough and my mother would make it and I would always want to lick the beaters, grab a spoon, sneak it out of the bowl before she ever cooked it. There's something about chocolate chip cookie dough that's in the mixing bowl before it gets to the oven that is just so good oh my god i could eat an entire bowl of chocolate chip cookie dough i almost did as a kid (laughs) because i learned how to make it just so that i could eat it yes i made the cookies don't get me wrong i made the cookies but boy did i eat that chocolate chip cookie dough Now, as I understand the story, my dad talked to somebody that he worked with about vacation destinations, and Schenketeg came up in the conversation. And one of his co-workers stayed with his family. Their last name was Jester. They have long since passed, but they were a kindly old couple. And they had a house right on the bay side of Schenketeg Island. And on their property, in addition to their house, they had a mobile home and a two-room cottage. And what they would do is they would rent both the mobile home and the two-room cottage out to vacationers. So what you would do is you'd drive down to Shinkadee, and instead of going to a hotel, you would go to their property and drive past their house. It was maybe two acres big, and there was about a half an acre for the trailer and half an acre for the cottage, and, and the rest of it was where their house was. And you would rent out either the cottage or the trailer, and it would be yours for the week. They had a bathroom and a kitchen and bedrooms and places for people to sleep. I have no idea what the rentals were, but I know that it was cheaper than going to a hotel. Otherwise, my dad would not have done it. It also afforded us the opportunity to have a kitchen and a refrigerator so we could have breakfasts and lunches in the trailer or in the cottage, depending on where we were staying. And then we would be free to go out to dinner, which is what we did. Going out to dinner, which we never did during the year, going out to dinner on vacation was the treat. And so we went out to dinner every night. But that's why we ate in every morning and afternoon, so that we could go out to dinner at night. But anyway, the first time that we went down to uh we stayed in the mobile home. Now, this is a traditional mobile home. It wasn't a double-wide. It was a narrow little trailer with... A bedroom at the end, which would be the equivalent of a master bedroom, but it was only as wide as a trailer. So they had the equivalent of a double bed in there for my mom and dad. My dad was a big guy, by the way. My dad was, as I've said before, he was 6'3 and a couple of hundred pounds, and double bed was barely enough for him. But he and my mom shared the double bed at the end of the trailer. Then in the middle of the trailer was what passed for a bedroom where they had bunk beds, And my brother and sister each had one of the bunks. And that left the couch in the living room for years truly. So I got the couch in the living room to sleep on. So you got a family of five with a little kitchenette, a little tiny bathroom, and a little tiny living room. And we were all packed in there with all of our stuff to keep us busy for a week. So our vacations started on Saturday, and they went from Saturday to Saturday. That's the way vacation was. That gave us Sunday to recover which, by the way, is a habit I still have today. I picked that up from my dad and I still do that. I take vacations from Saturday to Saturday and give us a day to recover from the trip. I know some families travel Friday to Friday. Some families travel Sunday to Sunday. I go Saturday to Saturday because that's how my dad did it. And so I do it that way. If it was good enough for my dad, it's good enough for me. But anyway, we would drive down on Saturday. We'd get down there about mid-afternoon. We'd pull into the jester's property and we'd drive up to the trailer and we'd unpack our stuff and load up the trailer. Now, the first time we went down there, we had no idea what to expect. My dad had never been, my mom had never been, obviously us kids had never been. So we unloaded the stuff into the trailer and then we piled back into the car because we wanted to get to the beach. Now, Chincoteague itself doesn't really have beaches for sitting out on the sand and jumping in the ocean, or even swimming in the bay, Chincoteague is more like the town next to the island with the beach. So it's a good 15-20 minute drive from where we stayed to get to the actual beach area. The actual beach area, as I said, is on Assateague Island. Now, Assateague, since it's a protected federal wildlife refuge, has zero development Now, you've been to beaches with boardwalks and arcades and hotels right on the water and little towns built up right along the coast. I mean, anywhere along the Jersey Shore, you've got the ocean and the boardwalk and 9 billion businesses. From ice cream parlors to arcades to t-shirt shops to tattoo parlors, they're all up along the coast of New Jersey, from the north end to the south end of the beach. Every town has its own boardwalk and its own businesses right there on the water. That may be one of the reasons that my dad didn't go to the Jersey Shore, because he didn't like all the commercialization, all the people there just milling about, shopping and eating and crowding up his way to get to the beach, because he wanted to go to the beach. And sit on the beach. He didn't want to deal with the people and the businesses and the smell of the food and the sound of the calliope over at the arcade. He just wanted to go to the beach. Assateague is sand, birds, horses, natural flora and fauna, and the ocean. That's it. That's all there is on Assateague Island. There's the occasional ranger hut, some lifeguard stands, a couple of bathhouses near the water so you could change into your bathing suit. But aside from that, nothing. At the time we were there, there was not a snack bar, not a water stand, not a lemonade stand. Not There was no business on Assateague Island. If you wanted water, you better pack a cooler full of water or you would just go dry for the rest of the day. Or you'd have to leave the island and go back to Chincoteague to go purchase stuff and bring it back to Assateague because there was literally nothing there. So if you wanted a vacation where you did Nothing but sit on the beach and look at the waves. Assateague was your choice. And my dad had found his nirvana because that's all he wanted to do. We would pack up every day all of the beach chairs, the blankets to lie out on. We did pack up a cooler. We filled it with water or drinks of whatever sort we were bringing occasionally we would pack our lunch and eat lunch on the beach because when we went to the beach with my dad, we were there for the day. If we wanted a break, we would maybe not bring lunch and we'd come back to the trailer for lunch and then go back to the beach for the afternoon because that's what we did. That was vacation. The sporting moment of my life is the game we played against the local high school, not the one that I went to. Mine was a regional school. This was the local high school in the town where the radio station was. And we were running the all-stars against the local high school staff. And all the pomp and circumstance you expect from an all-star basketball game was there. The auditorium was filled to overflowing. There was probably 200 people there. But boy, it felt like it was full to overflowing. The crowd was going crazy. It really was. I mean, for a bunch of local radio disc jockeys and local high school teachers, the place was a frenzy. I remember it to this day. It was crazy loud in there. And it was the biggest crowd that I've ever played in front of. And it was amazing to just march out there and have the team around me, and it was as close as I'll ever come to that moment that everybody hears about in sports where the crowd has you motivated, the adrenaline's pumping, you're all so excited. It was that moment. It was that moment where you can feel your heart beating in your chest. You can feel the butterflies in your stomach. You feel the sweat pouring off your brow as you're getting pumped up for this game because the crowd was into it, the team was into it, and everybody was watching. It was great. It was everything that I thought that it would be. And the game was a really good game. I don't remember the final score, but I remember it being a back-and-forth game throughout the entire game. I remember trading baskets, going up by four, going down by four. It was back and forth through the first half. Then there was the halftime break, and then we had the second 10-minute half. We were playing 10-minute halves, of course. And I remember the clock winding down, and we had timeouts, and we had fouls, and we had referees, and it was, you know, all of the pomp and circumstance that goes with a game like that, and we're down to the last five seconds, and we have a timeout. And we're trying to call the last play. Now, I'm six feet tall. I was the point guard on the team. We had a couple of forwards who were six three, six four. We had a couple other guards. We had a center who was about six four. We had a couple of good shooters. I've always been a decent shooter. I've never been a lights-out shooter, but I've always been a decent shooter. So I thought that the play, of course, me being me, I thought the play should come to me. It didn't. The tall guys were planning the play. And I said, fine, whatever. One of the tall guys happened to be the owner of the station. Who am I to countermand what the owner of the station wanted to do? He was on the floor. He wanted to play. You get to call the play, sir. Go right ahead. So he and the other tall guy worked out the play between them. And I was off on the wing on the baseline. And... The clock is ticking down. The ball is inbounded to the one tall guy at the top of the key. And he passes it inside the lane to the other tall guy who's about 10 feet out. And he takes a shot. And the clock is winding down. And the shot bounces off the rim. And I crash the board. And I remember going up as high as my little six-foot frame would go, which was about six feet two inches. But somehow, (laughs) somehow... I got the rebound. It was a clean rebound. There was nobody around. I went right back up with the rebound, banked it off the glass, swoosh, right through the net. The buzzer goes off. We won by one point. The only buzzer beater in my entire life. And it was glorious. And to this day, I still get a chill thinking about that because it was... A buzzer beater with the crowd watching, with everybody going wild, with the team surrounding me going, bah! it was amazing. And it's a feeling I'll never forget. And I think that's why we play sports. Even if you're the weekend warrior, even if you're the guy who plays once a week, once a month, once every couple of months, those moments, those moments where your adrenaline's pumping, where you get the winning shot, where everything comes together. That's what we live for. And that's what makes sports so much fun. That's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate you listening to all of the episodes, including this Best Of episode. If you have any suggestions or stories you'd like to hear on future Best Of episodes, just let me know. Message me on Twitter. Whisper me on Twitch. Just let me know. We'll find those stories. We'll put them up in future episodes. Thanks again, guys. Until next time, you take care of yourselves.